0: Welcome back to Show Up, Stand Up, Speak Up. I'm Sherry Godfrey, and I'm super excited to bring to you part two in our three-part series with Sarah Lynn. We're having a conversation about mental health, moving through to mental wellness. So again, sit back, grab your cup of coffee, pop on that seatbelt, and join us for the ride. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Show Up, Stand Up, Speak Up. I'm super excited to do round two with Sarah Lynn. Sarah Lynn from Vancouver, British Columbia, is coming to us with some really good, honest conversations. So how this all started is that Sarah has published a book. And the book is a poetry book. And it's how she was able to move through things that were happening in her life. We'll we'll sort of preface it at that. In our comments, you are going to find a link for the book. And we're not so much going to talk about the book today. We are going to talk about Sarah and part of her journey. And I'm super excited to say that this isn't the last conversation that we're going to have with Sarah, that Sarah has agreed to open herself up and to have really good, honest conversations about some really difficult topics. And because there's a few of those topics, we're deciding to break them up so that we can really give them um, the coverage that is needed. So, Sarah, I know it's bright and early where you are. We certainly do have a time gap in between us. So welcome and thank you for coming back to the table. No problem. I'm excited. So for those who aren't aware, Sarah is the ripe old age of 21. She has the wisdom of someone who's about 75 and she's currently in university studying psychology so she certainly is busy and today what we're going to be talking about really is a tough it is a tough topic it's a tough topic for anyone who has experienced it both from our teens our youth and from a parent standpoint so sit back and grab your coffee cup of tea hot chocolate and settle in for a really good in-depth conversation on suicide and suicidal thoughts. Sarah and I both thought that it was a relevant conversation and it's a conversation that isn't had often enough. And the more we talk about the topic, the more commonplace it becomes and the better we can help those who surrender. Does that make sense, Sarah? Yeah. So we will preface by saying that these conversations can be triggering. So there may be some information, not intentional, that comes up and does trigger you. So I do want you to know that in Canada, we do have resources for you. And I'm sure globally, there are resources in your area. So the Canada Suicide Prevention Line is 1-833-456-4566. And if you were in Quebec and French is your mother tongue, then one 866 would be the number that you wanted to call. And of course there's always 911. If you're in imminent danger with imminent thoughts, please call 911 and make sure that you get the help right now because we do want to have you with us for future So Sarah, I'm actually just going to turn it over to you and I'm going to let you give us a little bit about your journey in your words.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have attempted twice. Twice, I think. Um, like real uh, attempts. Um, the first time I was, I had just turned seventeen. Um, a few months earlier. And the second time I was, I just turned eighteen. Um, and I was in Montreal, Quebec. Um yeah in the middle of nowhere so that was not great um yeah yeah Yeah, I think that we all struggle sometimes and I think that it's harder to pull yourself out when you're struggling with suicidal ideation and I struggled with that for years um And I think that's also something that isn't talked about. Um, I didn't, uh, yeah, I only attempted a a few times, but um, it was a constant thought um, that ran through my head. Um, And I think that suicidal ideation is normal when you are struggling with what I struggled with. Um, And I think that that word scares a lot of people, um, but it doesn't mean that there's intent and it doesn't mean that you're, you're gonna, um, kill yourself. And I think that's information that everybody should know. I think that, um, if, I think that nobody truly wants to
0: die if they have any other option. And I'm going to interject there because I think you've hit on a few really good key points that need to be expanded upon a little bit. So I think that you're right that when somebody speaks about suicide that the automatic reaction is panic. Yeah. They don't know what to do with that thought with the words that are coming out of somebody's mouth and we do panic Um, we're having more conversations so that we're getting more awareness of it but I think the conversations are still earth-shattering and we haven't gotten a good grasp on how to have that conversation so it's like from a a 1 to a 10 you put somebody on a an alarm rate of a 15 and and I don't know what to do Afraid to have a conversation, because if I see the wrong thing, like, will that make them um, have to su- do suicide tonight? Will they still be here tomorrow? And am I like, to blame for that? Yeah, like, and I, hard conversation.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of blame attached to suicide. I think that there is still people that believe that it's selfish, um, which I think is completely not true because you think that the world will be better off without you you think that yes it would cause pain but they would get over it (laughs) your loved ones would get over it and I think there's also people that don't have loved ones that can that consider it but what they don't realize is like is the world also
0: needs them even if they don't feel like they are loved they are and and I think that that's important that you're hitting on that is that oftentimes it is viewed as a selfish act that if you could, if you only knew what you were doing to somebody else and in that heat of the moment you feel such little value for yourself you feel that you bring no value to the table and that you are unlovable so although it might be like they're ripping off a band aid that that pain will be gone for them in an instant but they would have less pain not having you here so you believe you're doing them the favor yep accurate yep yep i agree i think that
1: yeah it's a really complicated issue and the fear that people have talking about it and the fear that people have about saying the wrong thing i think that's valid and i also think when you talk about it, you don't attach blame and you don't attach judgment and mm. you just listen and support the person without feeling responsible. I mean, that's a hard thing to say, but you aren't responsible for somebody else's actions. Um, you mm. really aren't. And I think that the conversation starts and the help starts when you listen and you are there and you stay with that person through their pain, you don't necessarily have to convince them not to.
0: Is it fair to say that in the moment, so one, if somebody is having, is uttering those words to you, that they have really put themselves in a vulnerable situation and they're open to having a conversation? Yeah, 100%. Although they're having the thoughts, they're also having the thoughts that there is a possibility that I, I could stay here. So it's that's not a thing. For lack of better words, it's not a done deal. There's no, not at all. And that's being open. And when you approach someone, I'm going to wager that you weren't asking them for a solution.
1: Yeah, the, and that's the thing. That's what um I think that's where the that I think that's a really, really great point. I think that you aren't asking for a solution. You just want to be heard. Or mm-hmm. and that's what that's what I felt. I just wanted to be heard. And I wanted to be be validated. And I think that that's the way that a lot of people feel and you can't fix somebody's problems for them and you can't fix, you can't
0: necessarily make them feel better by saying the right thing, if that makes sense. I think that makes perfect sense. And I, I think it's one of those is that, so if anyone right now is in this particular situation where a friend or a family member has been having suicidal thoughts, has been having um, comments or is dropping comments along the way is that they're not asking for you to give them a list of one to 10 on how to fix it. Because God bless, they, they can't even enter into step one. And everybody is different. Everyone's thoughts are different. The way we process information is different. So to think that my list of one to 10, if I gave that to Sarah, would be the Sarah's list is just not fair not fair at all to think that I would have her solutions but I think it would be fair for me to say Sarah I hear you. I really don't know how I can help you or solve that problem but please let me know what can I do for you and with you. I'm here for you and I hear you.
1: That's the perfect thing to say and that's really all you need to say. Just sitting with somebody is also good enough and yeah, it's, it's just, there's not a lot you can do to fix it. And I think that you don't, another thing that people do is list all the reasons why somebody like should not do it. I think they, they list like, oh, your family, like your future. But the thing is you have, like you said, you have such little value for yourself mm-hmm. and you have such little um, hope and trust in, Yourself in the world that it could actually be okay because you felt so unokay for so long mm-hmm. um, that it's it's just completely not helpful. It might be helpful for the person that's saying it, but it's not helpful for the person receiving it.
0: I I would say that that is true. That it is more helpful for the person who is saying it because they feel like now that they're doing something to solve that problem that. It really is doing little for the other person. And I think to give someone permission that in this particular case, less really is more. Sitting beside them, even in silence, less is more. Just saying, I'm here for you, I hear you, less is more. Like they're not, we're not going to solve the world's problems overnight. And we're not going to solve all of the devalued and the little worth that someone has overnight, that is a really big work in progress. And it really is just a matter of holding someone's hand and allowing them to walk through their journey because everyone's journey will be different.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, one of the hardest parts was not not being able to be fixed overnight because you have to work really hard and you have to, in the effort when you don't want to, and it takes a long time. <laughs> like it's fixable, but it takes a long time and it takes a lot of work. And I found that really hard because I just wanted to be fine, I just want to be normal. I just wanted to be okay. And I mean, what really is normal, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think that
0: was also, yeah, one of the hardest things. Now, I'm going to share off a little bit of stats just for those people who are listening because I'm I'm going to also go on a limb and see that some people listening are going to say, well, you know, um, those numbers really aren't that big. It really isn't that much of a problem. I'm sure you've heard all of this before, Sarah. And I'm just going to share some stats from 2010 to 2019. And I was a little shocked, I'm going to say. So I I did some homework um, before I came on the conversation with you, Sarah. I was a little shocked at the numbers. And here is what else I was really shocked about. That this isn't just a female problem.
1: No, it's not at all. It's mostly male.
0: It is more male dominant. And I thought it was more female. So it was really enlightening to see those numbers.
1: Well, I think that um, it's, I don't think it's more the ideation and the the wanting to kill yourself is not more, is not necessarily more female or male dominant, but males do attempt and succeed more often than females.
0: Yes, yes, I think that's accurate. And we often associate this with our youth. So early to later teens and early adulthood. And those numbers are, I mean, any number is a staggering number. But I was also shocked to see that although it is, it's relevant throughout all of the years, there is a higher number of content between those younger ages, but that number also starts to spike again around 45. Mm -hmm. So I'm just gonna share a few of the stats. So in 2010, um, from ages 15 to 19, so this is based on a population of 100,000, so for 100,000. In in 2010, it was 146 males for 100,000 and 52 females. 2019, those numbers, males were 129 and females uh, were 71. So females went up a little bit. From the ages of 20 to 24 in 2010, the male number per 100,000 was 225, female 63. And in 2019, males were 231 and females were 75. So we're really not seeing um, people may listen to this and say, well, you know, we're not really seeing any big spikes. Fair enough. We're also not seeing any bottoming out. And the only way that these numbers will start to bottom out is that we make it a comfortable conversation for those having those ideations to be able to come forward. Now, here's where it gets, I think, even more shocking. So if we jump up to the age of 45, so 45 to 49, in 2010, the rate for males per 100,000,
1: 406. And there's a lot.
0: And females were 96. Now, the sort of good news here is in 2019, the male numbers dropped down to 278 and females to 65. I would like to think that's because we were creating some more awareness that it was making it okay for people to come forward and have those conversations. But we're still 50 to 54 in 2019, 286 for males, 110 for females. And 55 to 59, 325 males and 96 females. So those numbers really are slightly increasing. So I think for those that are listening, it's really important to see that these just aren't numbers that are affecting our youth. They're affecting every stage of our life. But most importantly, as careers are starting to wind up, as our children are leaving our homes and we're becoming empty nesters and maybe your marriage is starting to derail, that when the world starts crumbling down, these thoughts do come back and people sadly are being successful at um, as the suicide rates are increasing. So I, I was really shocked to see that it's not just our youth that are in crisis it, it really is our adults um, are being in crisis as well. And when you see those kind of numbers, it makes it really important for us to be having these intimate conversations to make them commonplace at our dinner table.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Like shocking, Sarah, just shocking. Now I'm gonna ask you a couple of more questions and we'll see where you stand on these. Um, Were you bullied when you were in school? Yeah, as a kid. So it's, um, again, I pull on some stuff out and it's the bullying, the suicide. And I wanted to see what those, um, what that looked like because we know that that's ever increasingly on the rise. So I will honestly say that as I sit here, Sarah's 21, I'm 51. There's a bit of an age gap here. So a bit of a generational gap. We've grown up very differently. And when I grew up, my phone hung on the wall. And I'm going to say that it's not that bullying didn't exist when I went to school. It just looked very differently, that it tended to be more one on one. So if you had, you know, the head jock, who would pick on the head geek, for example, they each had their own inner circles but it wasn't the jocks complete circle coming down on one it tended to be more of a one-on-one and the good news that i can look back at now and appreciate is that at the end of the school day we all went our separate ways so the jocks would go home and they would hang with their buddies and the geeks would go home and they would hang with their buddies and I just use that terminology loosely please know that i am not blanketing anyone in any um, sort of circle but it's they would go their own separate ways. And the one who was being bullied still had friends to surround them. They had all common goals. They would be into the same thing and they would rally and champion them when they went home without that constant nattering behind you. So although it was prevalent at school, you at least had some reprieve when you left. God bless you, Sarah. I could not imagine growing up with all of the access that you guys have now so it's our youth today aren't i mean bullying shouldn't be done period it that should just be done with but the bullying today is so inundating like you never get a break from it so like moms and dads who are listening whose phone used to be on the wall just take a moment and think what our youth are going through So they're getting verbal bullied at school. It can turn into physical bullying at school because they're in person, they're one-on-one. They're shaming. There's a ton of stuff that goes with that. But when our kids leave school, they're now being bullied online. It's a 24-7 pick at somebody. And I can't imagine, like if you had a bruise on your arm and somebody sat there and just poked it, all day long, poke, 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 poke. That bruise just gets more sore, more sore, more sore, and grows bigger and bigger and bigger. So, really, when we look at it, it's no wonder that those thoughts are playing in the minds of our youth. God bless.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, kids don't have the emotional kids, youth don't have the emotional the same emotional capacity and the same emotional um control as um as adults for the most part for the most part um and I think that kids also don't really understand consequences Mm. Um, like up there they don't I mean some do but to an extent they don't understand the consequences in the same way and yeah I didn't have a phone until I was I don't know, grade seven. I think I got my first phone, and that sounds—that sounds. Oh, that's so young! But I was like, we were one of the last people um, to get our phones, and we weren't allowed our, our um, phones or iPads or computers um, when we were in high school uh, in our bedrooms at night. My mom would take them. Of you course, easily broke that rule, but. Um, I think that social media is an incredibly dangerous place for somebody that is go- that is struggling with their mental health and doesn't have a lot of support. I think that it was a huge um, it was a huge it was a safe place for me because I felt I could go online and and I people were talking about the same things that they were going through and I felt the same way and I could relate, but it's a toxic community because we all didn't have coping skills and we all felt the same way. And it kind of just perpetuated the ability to stay in pain and not talk about it with people that didn't understand. And um, the, the content that you can find on social media nowadays is incredibly harmful and it's it's I think a lot of people don't realize how easy it is it's so easy and Mm -hmm. it makes you feel it can make you feel validated and feel like you belong and all these other things that everybody wants but for the wrong reasons and yeah I think that I, I was bullied as a, as a kid, mostly, um, and then in high school, like when I was younger, but as I got older, I kind of just, I don't know, I kind of just stuck to myself, hung out with my friends, didn't really, um, yeah, I, I played a lot of sports and joined a lot of clubs, so I wasn't really, I had a lot to do, and I was busy, and I wasn't really super um, bullied in high school. But the online bullying is a different thing. I think that people online, it's easier for them to say what they want because there's no emotional, you don't see an emotional reaction. And
0: yeah, and it's easier because there's something in between you, right? So you don't see that consequence. You don't see that emotional reaction coming back. And you don't view it as. And I think we're braver when you're not having to stand in front of somebody that you can up and say, and say whatever you want. And if you say something, you're likely to get those who will chime in after you, which just kind of fuels your fire. And I would even say that those who are in a bullying position aren't feeling an awful lot of self-love themselves, that they're taking their hatred onto somebody else. And they're getting a boost from their community, which they believe they now have validation. So they continue going through that downward spiral, not necessarily realizing the detriment or the impact that they could be having on that other person as they're sitting alone. Now, Stats Canada in 2012 did say that one in three of our youth are bullied. That's a staggering number. LGBTQ are three times more likely to be bullied. And that bully does link to loneliness and isolation, anger and frustration, humiliation, embarrassment, and trauma. And I think we really don't sit and think about those long-term effects, like you said, that you know, they say it, and for the person saying it, they're saying it and then they're perhaps moving on to something else, not realizing that somebody is sitting isolated in their bedroom. And that thought is just schooling and continuing. And it just brings them down a deeper um, path and a deeper hole than what they already were in. Is that fairly accurate?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's easy to believe what other people are saying about
0: you when you don't have a lot of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of the other stuff, 85% of bullying takes place in front of other people. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not that it's condoned. And I know I've seen some like shocking videos that have been shared on social media, which again, really shouldn't be for public consumption. But I think for us, it's shocking to see the amount of people that will stand back and stand by without jumping in for intervention. And as... Not having grown up with all of the technology and everything that's at your hands, it's growing up in a very different time frame. When we look back at that, it's like I, I can't imagine that no one would step in. Well, there are um,
1: reasons for that that have been like scientifically proven um, the bystander effect. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's easier to think somebody else is more, we all think somebody else is more equipped to help than we are and so we assume that somebody else is going to step in Yes. because that's that's just how our brains work and I mean not everybody but it's a, a sad reality and um do, do you know what the butterfly effect is no okay so um basically it's so when an individual commits suicide in their community, the other individuals in that community that are also feeling suicidal are more likely to commit suicide after somebody mm-hmm. else does in their community. And it's like the butterfly flaps its wings one place in the world and it creates wind somewhere else. And, yeah. right? So it, it's just... And it's it's proven that's an act that's that's a fact it's um, and I think that's that's part of the problem. And I think that the media perpetuates that um, unintentionally when they're trying to bring awareness to suicide. Like there's shows, like Thirteen Reasons Why, Euphoria, all these shows that they have started the conversation about suicide, and it's really good. But it's also incredibly hard to make a a show about mental health without glamorizing it unless it's a documentary mm. for the most part yeah. and um sure. yeah it glamorizes drug abuse it glamorizes feelings suicidal it glamorizes being depressed it glamorizing it glamorizes
0: having anxiety it's just
1: yeah and, and it's
0: not a good place you no know, and i think when i when i think about some of the movies that i've seen like i like that you brought that up because it's not a not a thought that I had I'll be very honest with you but when you look back and think about some of the movies that we've watched is that those who are in crisis seem to be getting an awful lot of attention so it is it does glamorize it and I'm didn't think that in reality it's quite the opposite but that's really not what's going on for the most part
1: yeah they, they don't I mean, even if it's not attention, it's um, something else. And it, it, the, the things, the people that are playing, the actors that are playing the people aren't actually going through it. And for the most part, I think. And it places a lot of, unintentional blame i think oh, on,
0: interesting. yeah
1: do you know what i mean like i think it yeah. yeah it places a lot of unintentional blame on the individual who is feeling that way and because of the, the the focus on like their trauma and um what they're going through and what they're thinking what they're doing but it's not ever really shown like why hmm. they are doing those things? Like what, what caused them to get to this point where they're feeling that way?
0: That's very true. And I I know that um, not all suicide thoughts or not all suicides are intentional, if that makes sense. hundred percent. I remember having a conversation with someone that I know who has had a few, had a few suicide attempts and she was actually offended that the hospital labeled them as a suicide attempt. Um, and her comments were that, but I, I really wasn't trying to kill myself. So suicide is the wanting to not be here anymore. And the act of doing it is their intention is not to wake up in the morning or whatever that may look like. And when she explained it to me, it made perfect sense. And so she asked, you know, have you ever had a headache? Of course I have. And have you taken a couple of Tylenol? Of course I have. And if the Tylenol doesn't work, have you taken your next dose before the bottle says? So if the bottle says two tablets every four hours, not to exceed X amount in a day, I'm sure everyone who is listening or most people listening have not followed those guidelines to a T. That if you're in the throes of a headache or a migraine and they take two and it doesn't work, It can tell you that there is sometimes within the hour, hour and a half, I've taken another dose to help lessen the pain that was going on in my head. And what she had said was, all I was trying to do was to numb the pain. And if I can take four and it numbs a headache, it made sense to me that if I took the bottle, I just wouldn't feel any pain anymore. It's not that I didn't want to wake up in the morning. I just didn't want to feel pain. So I don't believe that it was a suicide attempt. That's so not really what I was looking to do. I was just looking to dull the pain.
1: Yeah, I think that is definitely true for some individuals. I completely agree. I also think that when you attempt suicide, you your intention is to either not wake up or get help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And most of the time it's the most of the time you do wake up, but you don't get help. And mm. yeah, if you don't wake up, you you have no chance of getting help. And I think that the system is so broken that it. Yeah, you like you go to the hospital. Like I went to the hospital. Um, go taken to the hospital in ambulance, and they just send me home the same evening. Mm. And. Like, it's yeah, it's, and that's, it's so calm. That was the first time, but like, that is, it's just so common. And mm-hmm. it's really sad because they're at, like, I was asking for help. I wanted help. Like, I didn't trust myself to not do it again. I didn't trust myself to keep myself safe. And I, I didn't for years after, like, sometimes I still don't and I, that plays plays into a lot of other things but yeah I I didn't trust myself but the system seems to not care as much un- unless you're going to
0: therapy and paying for therapy really and paying big dollars for therapy because even oh, the, yeah in the hospitals is um I mean god bless they're trying so I will give them that they're trying I do believe that the system is broken exactly like you said. I believe that our um, mental health professionals, their toolkit really is filled with Fisher-Price tools. And it would be really nice if they had a solid hammer in there to help us build a better path um, that makes it conducive for those coming forward for help. Medication isn't always the answer. I'm not saying that medication is not helpful. But they're very quick to throw a bottle of pills at somebody, write a prescription and throw them out the door without getting to any of the root causes. Absolutely. If I brought my son or my daughter in with a broken arm, they would get a thorough exam. They would get a full x-ray to see what's going on in the inside. And then the doctors have a clearer path as to what the healing looks like for that. And when our heart is broken or our brain is not functioning in the way that it's supposed to, there is no x-ray that the doctors can do. I appreciate that. There is no definite break that they see. There's no that we can put on and say, you know, when when a few weeks come back, we'll um, re-x-ray and see if that that break is is healed. And because it's not so black and white visible on that x-ray, I think some of the doctors are at a loss for what to do. And I even want to wager that some of our medical professionals are a little intimidated by, by that thought process with those people coming in because there's still people at the end of the day and having these regular conversations and God bless some of those doctors. I mean, if you go into the hospital, you will look like some of their daughters. So, although they're a medical professional trained to help and heal you, well, I don't think that
1: there isn't. They're physically trained to. They're help. They're help. They're trying to help you physically heal. Yes. And yes. Unless they're a, a psychiatrist, and I think that that's where the problem starts. There's so much uneducation and under-training that happens, mm-hmm. um, and there's they're like, oh, somebody has a broken leg. That's more important. And yeah, so they prioritize. And I understand that, but it's also the wrong. I mean, I guess you can't really say it's wrong, but it's
0: not good enough. It's not good enough. It is not good enough. You are absolutely right on that, Sarah. It is not good enough. That things do need to change from the inside out. That the help needs to be accessible. And um, and I've seen what mental health looks like inside of a hospital and it's not pretty.
1: It was fun, like I said last time. It's a place that keeps the individual safe from hurting themselves, but it doesn't actually fix anything. There's no, there's no gap. They don't bridge the. Oh, you're in the psych ward, or you're in the hospital. To let's help you find a therapist if you don't have one. Let's help you find resources. Like let's help you do this and that. Like don't just throw medication at it. Don't just throw van at it. Like you just it's not it's not good enough it it really isn't and I understand that that's not the individual
0: doctor's fault necessarily no but it
1: contributes to the whole problem
0: It, it is it's a bigger problem it's not just a doctor it's they're doing the best that they can with the tools that they have and I think that you have just really painted a clear picture that there is a gap and there is no bridge so, there's a mountain on this side and there's a mountain on that side. And we need to get to the bottom. Side A to side B. But there is no bridge that has currently been built for a safe path and a safe journey. So well, and like- think about that. Like, you're at the bottom mm-hmm. of the mountain
1: and it's literally just completely straight up. And you don't feel supported. You don't feel like you have help. You don't feel like you value help. You don't feel like you're loved enough, you don't feel like you deserve to be in the world. How are those tools, how how is how are those things going to help you get to the top? You, you can't, it's not, it's, it's so unrealistic and I think that when you're, like, the, you go to the hospital and they're like, oh, okay, like, we'll just keep you here until you're, like, the medication, like, we'll flush the medication out, whatever, and then we're just going to send you home. You're still at the exact same place and now even further down because you just asked for help in the only way that you could in that moment and then were denied.
0: Absolutely. And I think it goes back to the beginning of the conversation that we had, that when somebody comes forward and is having conversations, one, be extremely grateful if someone is willing and able to open up to you and they feel that you're a safe place to open up mm-hmm. and that too we can't solve everything overnight it didn't happen overnight it can't be solved overnight and they're not looking for you to be their solution but they yeah, are that's and, the thing they are yeah you want to have that safe place and to be listened to heard i think that
1: what's really important to me at least is that when i was really struggling I didn't really even want help I wasn't ready to try like I wasn't for probably two years I just wasn't ready to try I didn't want to I had no motivation I mean I I wanted to be better but I didn't want to try and I think that's hard for some people to understand because I did want to get better but I just didn't want to try and that's a really hard thing to feel. And I think sometimes your loved ones and the people that are trying to help you can get frustrated Mm. and, and which is fair and they don't understand it. And I think you just need to support somebody until they're ready. You can't force somebody into being better. They have to want to get better and it's okay if they don't want to get better.
0: And I love how you've been able to really, I mean, that's a really clear statement. I I wanted to be better. I wasn't ready to try. And I think that we assume that if you want to be better, then you must be willing to try or else you wouldn't say it. So that, that for some of us, that's going to seem illogical. That's going to seem like an illogical statement. But I appreciate the fact that you've been open and honest enough to actually say it. I'm hoping what this is going to do is it's going to shed light onto those who are in that moment right now with a loved one, and in the moment right now where they're having those thoughts, because you are letting them know that you're not alone.
1: No, they're not, and the, having a gap between wanting to be better and not wanting to try and feeling like it's too much is okay and it doesn't make, doesn't mean there's something wrong with you, it just means you're tired, and it means, that it's oh. and it's, yeah, it means you're, un, it, life is, a life is unfair, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it shouldn't be your, it, it shouldn't be your, you shouldn't have to do it alone, and you shouldn't have to put in all the effort that you do to get better. I think that it's a long journey. And I think that part of the reason that so many people end up committing suicide is because that's something that is not understood. And mm-hmm. it makes them, it made me feel like there was a deficit or something wrong with me. I I've, I've assume that other, I don't assume, I, I think that other people feel the same way. I, yeah, I, I think that it's okay to not, to want to be better, but not have to not have the motivation and not want to try. And the best thing you can do is to support somebody until they're ready and not get mad at them because you don't understand their thought process. And that's okay. You don't have to understand their thought process.
0: And here's what I love most of all, Sarah. And I could probably cry right now just in general because we're not having this conversation often enough we're not validating somebody's feelings as theirs. We're assuming that if somebody has come to the table to say that I want to be better, that it means I now need to carve out that, you know, one to 10 list of what they're going to do. That you have just really clearly have stated like so many light bulb moments with you, Sarah. Like I could just, I wish we weren't across the country and I wish it wasn't COVID because I could just yeah. be the biggest hug ever. I know, me too. That you're giving people in the moment permission to say, I know I want to be better, but I know I don't have it in me right now to try. And that the two of those can live side by side for a little while. Yeah, they can. are hurting so much on the inside and you have so little value on the inside. That's what gets most people through the day is that they know that they have value. They know that they have self-worth. That if I just get through today, like tomorrow is going to be a better day. That someone with these in this particular thought process or in this moment of time, they don't have that to pull from. No,
1: because the the next the day after the, they have to get through this one day, but then they have to wake up again tomorrow and go through the same thing because that day is the not the be same
0: thing. Yeah, it's not going to be better if we sit and just listen with no expectations what that is doing for somebody it's not just allowing them to be heard and seen it's allowing them to feel valued yeah a hundred percent and
1: it when I first started seeing Melissa my therapist I've been seeing since (laughs) I was 17 yeah I just turned 17 um I absolutely completely lied to her For the first seven months, (laughs) I never once told her the truth. I, I, she was like, oh, how are you? I'm like, fine. Mm. Fine. Like, I just, I wouldn't say, like, I would give her just enough information, but I was like, eh, eh. And it took seven months of her not giving up on me and just letting me exist and feel like shit. And not want to get better to feel that finally somebody valued me enough to stick it out and and she had trust in the fact that I would be able to get better and she saw me as a whole person not just the the part that I was struggling with and not just the sick parts of me and I think that for me, when I live in, I live in my own head, nobody else lives in my own head. And it's exhausting for me to live in my own head. And it's, I, yeah, it's, it's completely exhausting. I think that um, I see, because of that I see, I live with all of my thoughts and my feelings and my fears and my emotions. And I see all of the bad, Um, not bad, but I see all of the, what's the, I I can't forget the right word, but I see all of, I feel all of the, the bad things and I feel all the bad things and I have all the bad thoughts. Like I see all of that and it becomes, sometimes it can become my whole person. And I think that when you're sick and you're struggling, that's how the world sees you as like that's your entire person. That's a, that's who you are. But that's only a
0: tiny part of who you are. There's a, there's a reason behind that. There's it's, yeah. On those bad days, I would think that if you're looking in the mirror, you see something completely different. Yeah. And we need to acknowledge that that's a real thing, and that there are some days. I mean, and even on the grand scheme, so someone whose mental health has always been in fairly good check. I mean, God bless ladies. I'm sure some of you can relate. Not every day is a glorious day. And for those of us who have raised children and have been challenged and doing a career, I mean, I have a daughter who has been spunky since day one. And there has been some days where, holy hell in a handbasket, it's been a challenge. (laughs) It's just one of those that, you know, you think you're doing everything right. And it feels like you can do only everything wrong that we have bad days. So it's plausible to see that somebody who has very little self-worth and self-value, the image that they're seeing is very distorted in the mirror and that you've been able to work through a lot of this stuff. And that's why we're having this conversation. For those people who are listening, Sarah has done the work. She hasn't just decided to show up in the midst of, um, of getting the work. She has seen a therapist for a, a very long time. She's very comfortable sharing her story in hopes that she can help somebody else. It doesn't mean that Sarah nor I are perfect.
1: No, we are not even close. Perfect, <laughs> just
0: the way that we are, and we all come with imperfections to the table. And there's some days that I wake up, my Hit the floor, and I can tell you that the person I see staring back at me in the mirror is a very distorted version as to what other people would see. So it's not unbelievable to know that that's where you will live in, probably for the rest of your life. Yeah, and it's how you manage, and you now have different coping skills, and you now have different managing skills, and you. Well, my brain is corner.
1: My brain is not the same. Right at all which I think is incredibly hard for me to believe
0: um yeah I going to school and studying psychology I think let's be real your brain is uh, <laughs> yes. power is, is jumping in
1: yeah I mean like my thoughts like I used to feel emotions so big and it was like it was very I was very black and white and now I, I know that I can be up, I can be upset, and it doesn't have to ruin my entire day. Mm. I know that something bad can happen, and you know what? It's not the end of the world. I know that I can, like my first cat, he passed away, and he, that was the hardest, mm. one of the hardest things that I've ever been through. And this, despite all the people that I've lost and everything, my cat was my, my person and yeah i didn't think that i was going to get through it and i thought i was just gonna kill myself and i thought that even after i wasn't suicidal and even after i'd been through all my therapy that's just that's what i thought and he passed away and i did um struggle i did have a i i dropped a lot of weight and i stopped eating um mm-hmm but I didn't kill myself when I got through it and it's okay. And I would not ever trade those two years or three years with Hershey. I like, I would do it all over again, every time. And my, like there's days where I don't get out of bed. I just don't. I'm like, you know what?
0: Not today. (laughs) And. And that's acceptable. So I tell grown women all the time. It is perfectly acceptable to have a pity party day where you stay in your pajamas all day long. And you either drink coffee, tea, hot chocolate. I don't care what it is. You may curl up with a book. You may curl up with a blanket. You may do absolutely nothing. And it's perfectly acceptable. It's okay. To have those days.
1: Yeah. And and I think the difference though now is that I, I do have those days and that's okay. But I used to have those days every day. Mm. That used to be my day every day. And I would get, I, even if I, like, if I got out of bed, I'm just like, this is shit. I'm just going to do what I have to do and then go back to bed. And I, now that, now, like I said, my brain has changed my thought. You can rewire your, your thoughts and your, it's neuropathways. It's really interesting. And I can, I, I don't go down rabbit holes as much. I don't. I feel more balanced. I'm able to keep myself balanced. My my brain literally just works differently. And I, I thought that I was just so fucked because I was 17 and I didn't know that it was possible for my brain to actually change. And if I did, I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And because what knowledge is there out there, right? Of, of proof that it's possible to build a life worth living and that's that's the bitch about it though because what got me through that is that I built a life worth living Mm. but but it was the hardest thing I ever did and because it it took so much great effort when I just didn't have any and it took a long time and I didn't believe in it (laughs) for a long time but I did but my therapist told me and I worked through it and building a life worth living is what keeps me alive and what what kept me alive and I think that that's really hard to see when you're in a dark place you don't you have no hope that there's you can build a life worth living that there is a worth there is a life worth living and you're proof you
0: that it can be done <laughs> and that a life worth living can be built. Okay. As we wrap up our session today, Sarah, if there's somebody listening right now who is in the shoes that you have worn, what closing remarks would you like to give them? I love you. I love it.
1: I I understand you. I I truly can say that I understand you. I, I might not understand your trauma. I might not share the same trauma, But I've shared the same feelings and you're not alone. I love you and it is possible for you to build a life worth living and you are worth
0: that times a million. So we're going to end with this session today. I think we've had some really big aha moments. I appreciate the fact that you really are willing to share all the details that it's not hard, it is possible, but it does take work. That there is somebody who will believe in you and God bless, no matter what you dish at them. Um, Melissa, I mean, a seven year relationship before she started to believe um, what Melissa was saying. Yes, yeah, so, well, seven months before I actually uh, yeah. told her anything and it took years for me to actually trust it. Yeah, and you were, um, Self worth bucket is filling. You know that you have value, but it was done one drop at a time, just one little drop at a time. And eventually, that all marries together to create a bigger pot yeah. and a pool that you can now draw from. So, there, like we did say, that Sarah does have a book on poetry. We did share this in the last session, and it just, I think, sums up beautifully exactly the message that you have today. It's a beautiful poem from her book. In the midst of suffering, I let the light hit my face and tell myself everything is going to be okay. And I think that that really does beautifully sum up exactly what you're telling somebody. So as we close out, I want you to know that we will be joining Sarah again for some future conversations. We will be talking about anxiety, there's border personality disorder, OCDs, there is mom is willing to come to the table, that there is so much of Sarah worth sharing that we can't possibly do this just in one session. That we want to be able to give you bits of information, although it's a lot of information to take in, that if we do these in different sessions, that we can really sit and listen and we can take some of those aha moments away with us. And if nothing else, nothing else. If you're listening today, reach out to somebody if you're having some thoughts. Reach out for some help. If you are a trusted person where someone has come to you for a conversation, don't feel the need to solve the problems. But feel the need to sit and listen. And it is okay to say, I'm not sure how I can help you, but I'm here to listen. Just tell me what you need to tell me. And if they wanna sit in silence, God bless just hold their hand and let them sit in silence knowing that they're not alone. It's every opportunity that you take and you do that, you are giving them a little drop of self-value and self-worth in their bucket. And as that adds up, they will find that inner strength to not just want to be better, but to have the energy to try to be better it is a work in progress. It does not happen overnight. And God bless. We are all, all on this earth for a reason. I do believe that. And Sarah, I believe that you have been a gift that has been given to us so that we can have these really good conversations to help path or pave the way, make it a little bit smoother for someone else. And most importantly, make these okay conversations to be having. There should be no shame and there should be no judgment when we're talking about mental health, zero shame, zero judgment. I am extremely grateful that you have the backbone to come forward, Sarah, to share your wins and to share the struggles that you've had. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can only imagine the pride that your mother has. And the sharing that you're doing and the impact that you're having on other lives. I'm sure things have not been easy for her. So to see you come out on the other side, I mean, just what an exhilarating moment that you are still here. She can still wrap her arms around you. You're going to school in psychology, you're clearly going to impact the lives of others and hopefully shake up that freaking system that's out there. As well. And most importantly, you're letting people know that those thoughts, um, that in that moment, it's okay to be thinking what you're thinking. That although it's a struggle, it is worth it. You can build a life worth living. It won't be easy, but just know that you're loved. And there's someone like Sarah who understands 100% what you're going through. So as we close out today, I implore you to hug those in your circle just a little bit closer. To be willing and open to have a conversation that has no words. Just to say I hear you and I'm here for you and just let it be and just be in their presence. I can tell you that that alone will increase their self-worth, their self-value and you can change that life that is sitting right before you. Again if you have any thoughts or you need any help we do have suicide intervention lines in each and every community in all of our provinces and across Canada, reach out and speak to somebody who has perhaps walked in the shoes that you're walking with and they get it. They get it. It's a confidential conversation that you can have. If you're in imminent danger, 911. Please dial 911 right away. Be open and honest with how you're feeling. Don't take no for an answer because I can tell you that you are so worth it and more. With that, all my imperfectly perfect people, We are going to bid you adieu for today, until we reconnect with Sarah. Thanks for tuning in to the difficult conversation. I hope that we have given you permission to impact those around you. And Sarah, most importantly, thank you again for such a really good intimate share. And so grateful that we're having these conversations and we're making them commonplace.
1: Me too, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again to Sarah Lynn for showing up and sharing more pieces of her story. Her brave spirit really shines through when she speaks about overcoming. She gives us light at the end of the tunnel. She gives us hope and motivation to be better for ourselves. Again, if you want more of Sarah, in the episode details, you will find the link to her book on Amazon. In Repair, From Existing to Living by Sarah Lynn. And of course, I want to open the floor up to you. So if you are listening to us right now and you have a story that you want to be, that you want to share and bring light to, then reach out to me by email. Let's connect. Let's chat. Let's see how we can bring your voice to the table. Thanks for joining us and have a blessed day.